0: section 22 of 1916 first chapters collection this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org 1916 first chapters collection by various chapter 1 of the grizzly king by james oliver kerwood with the silence and immobility of a great reddish-tinted rock, Thor stood, for many minutes, looking out over his domain. He could not see far, for like all grizzlies his eyes were small and far apart, and his vision was bad. At a distance of a third or a half a mile he could make out a goat or a mountain-sheep, but beyond that his world was a vast sun-filled or night-darkened mystery, through which he ranged mostly by the guidance of sound and smell. It was the sense of smell that held him still and motionless now. Up out of the valley a scent had come to his nostrils that he had never smelled before. It was something that did not belong there, and it stirred him strangely. Vainly his slow-working, brute mind struggled to comprehend it. It was not caribou, for he had killed many caribou. It was not goat. It was not sheep. And it was not the smell of the fat and lazy whistlers sunning themselves on the rocks, for he had eaten hundreds of whistlers. It was a scent that did not enrage him, and neither did it frighten him. He was curious, and yet he did not go down to seek it out. Caution held him back. If Thor could have seen distinctly for a mile, or two miles, his eyes would have discovered even less than the wind brought him from down the valley. He stood at the edge of a little plain, with the valley an eighth of a mile below him, and the break over which he had come that afternoon, an eighth of a mile above him. The plain was very much like a cup, perhaps an acre in extent, in the green slope of the mountain. It was covered with rich soft grass and June flowers, mountain violets and patches of forget me nots, and wild asters and hyacinths, and in the center of it was a fifty foot spatter of soft mud, which Thor visited frequently when his feet became rock sore. To the east and the west and the north of him spread out the wonderful panorama of the Canadian Rockies softened in the golden sunshine of a June afternoon. From up and down the valley, from the breaks between the peaks, and from the little gullies cleft in shale and rock that crept up to the snow-lines, came a soft and droning murmur. It was the music of running water. That music was always in the air for the rivers, the creeks, and the tiny streams gushing down from the snow that lay eternally up near the clouds were never still. There were sweet perfumes as well as music in the air. June and July, the last of spring and the first of summer in the northern mountains, were commingling. The earth was bursting with green. The early flowers were turning the sunny slopes into coloured splashes of red and white and purple and everything that had life was singing. The fat whistlers on their rocks, the pompous little gophers on their mounds, the big bumblebees that buzzed from flower to flower, the hawks in the valley and the eagles over the peaks. Even Thor was singing in his way, for as he had paddled through the soft mud a few minutes before, he had rumbled curiously, deep down in his great chest. It was not a growl, or a roar, or a snarl. It was the noise he made when he was contented. It was his song. And now, for some mysterious reason, there had suddenly come a change in this wonderful day for him. Motionless, he still sniffed the wind. It puzzled him. It disquieted him without alarming him. To the new and strange smell that was in the air, he was as keenly sensitive as a child's tongue to the first sharp touch of a drop of brandy. And then, at last, a low and sullen growl came, like a distant roll of thunder, from out of his chest. He was overlord of these domains, and slowly his brain told him that there should be no smell which he could not comprehend, and of which he was not the master. Thor reared up slowly, until the whole nine feet of him rested on his haunches, and he sat like a trained dog, with his great forefeet, heavy with mud, drooping in front of his chest. For ten years he had lived in these mountains, and never had he smelled that smell. He defied it. He waited for it, while it came stronger and nearer. He did not hide himself. Clean-cut and unafraid, he stood up. He was a monster in size, and his new June coat shone a golden brown in the sun. His forearms were almost as large as a man's body. The three largest of his five knife-like claws were five and a half inches long. In the mud his feet had left tracks that were fifteen inches from tip to tip. He was fat and sleek and powerful. His eyes, no larger than hickory nuts, were eight inches apart. His two upper fangs, sharp as stiletto points, were as long as a man's thumb, and between his great jaws he could crush the neck of a caribou. Thor's life had been free of the presence of man, and he was not ugly. Like most grizzlies he did not kill for the pleasure of killing. Out of a herd he would take one caribou, and he would eat that caribou, to the marrow in the last bone. He was a peaceful king he had one law. Let me alone, he said, and the voice of that law was in his attitude as he sat on his haunches, sniffing this strange smell. In his massive strength, in his aloneness and his supremacy, the great bear was like the mountains, unrivaled in the valleys as they were in the skies. With the mountains he had come down out of the ages, he was part of them, the history of his race had begun and was dying among them and they were alike in many ways until this day he could not remember when anything had come to question his might and his right except those of his own kind with such rivals he had fought fairly and more than once to the death he was ready to fight again if it came to a question of sovereignty over the ranges which he claimed as his own until he was beaten, he was dominator, arbiter, and despot if he chose to be. He was dynast of the rich valleys and the green slopes, and the liege lord of all living things about them. He had won and kept these things openly, without strategy or treachery. He was hated and he was feared, but he was without hatred or fear of his own, and he was honest. Therefore he waited openly for the strange thing that was coming to him from down the valley. As he sat on his haunches, questioning the air with his keen brown nose, something within him was reaching back into dim and bygone generations. Never before had he caught that taint that was in his nostrils. Yet now that it came to him it did not seem altogether new. He could not place it he could not picture it. Yet he knew that it was a menace and a threat. For ten minutes he sat, like a carven thing, on his haunches. Then the wind shifted, and the scent grew less and less until it was gone altogether. Thor's flat ears lifted a little. He turned his huge head slowly, so that his eyes took in the green slope and the tiny plain. He easily forgot the smell now that the air was clear and sweet again. He dropped on his forefeet and resumed his gopher-hunting. There was something of humor in his hunt. Thor weighed a thousand pounds. A mountain gopher is six inches long and weighs six ounces. Yet Thor would dig energetically for an hour, and rejoice at the end by swallowing the fat little gopher like a pill. It was his bonne bouche the luscious tidbit in the quest of which he spent a third of his spring and summer digging. He found a hole, located to his satisfaction, and began throwing out the earth like a huge dog after a rat. He was on the crest of the slope. Once or twice during the next half-hour he lifted his head. But he was no longer disturbed by the strange smell that had come to him with the wind. End of section 22 Chapter 1 of the Grizzly King recording by Maria Casper